0: This morning we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark. Open your Bibles to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. As I've said now and for the last few weeks we've talked about it, it's a short gospel, but Eric's already kind of joked on me, like, Yeah, there's a lot of chapters in there. Yeah, we're gonna be there till about September, okay? So deal with it. No, yeah, it's gonna be great. I, I'm still kind of got it on rapid fire, but it's a great book, and, and one of my goals, and one of my high goals as pastor is to teach you the word of God, and the church said, amen. amen. It's not, so I'm not just giving you three points and a poem, and let's go. Hey, I'm trying to give you the word. So we're walking through this expositionally in these days. I want to thank Jeff Heath for being here last weekend and filling in. Such a blessing to always have, Jeff. But here we are today. Mark, turn there. Look at chapter two. Let's just jump right in there together. Here he is. And Jesus, right off the bat, he just deals with, uh, he's, he's got it, he's, he's the famous one of Israel. And there's growing opposition because people, the religious leaders of the day, they're threatened by Jesus Christ. So they come against him, they oppose him, and he has to, basically he can't just go public, he has to, he goes out to the wilderness, he goes far places, and people are telling him uh, that he's there, and he, they find him, and there's crowds everywhere, but we pick up here, and there's this scene there. They find themselves in a house. And in this particular house, this house is packed. It's like when our young couples used to do small groups in homes before they moved to the church. And some of them would call me and go, Pastor, you got to do something. I'm like, What are you going to do? They go, We had 14 kids in a 10 by 10 room and three injuries last week. Can we move them out? Nah, they didn't really get hurt but they you know they probably got their feelings hurt and we moved to the church we had nursery and children and youth and all that so it's a cool thing so you understand have you ever been in your house and it's just so packed donna and i when we were in student ministry we used to have about 75 teenagers in this one little season some high schoolers that would come over just for we had a lot more than that but just for this one bible study they would come to our house donna would cut the air down about two o'clock, one o'clock, and start cooling. And I would get home from work, and I'd be, and like, I'm hot nature, but I was freezing. But I promise you, after those teenagers sucked all the energy and all the cold air and ate all our snacks and ate all our food, it was hot, and it was time to go to bed. But I loved it. Packed. I've been in packed places. Over here, we found in this scripture, There's a packed house. And in this thing, Jesus performs one of these incredible miracles. So look there with me in chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, and there was no room left. Just underline it, no room in the house. I mean, it was overflowing, not even outside the door. He preached the word to them. In one translation, it says it's not the word so strong. Preach, he spoke to them jesus was rabbi jesus he was a, a rabona he was a teacher from god and he would preach but he also would speak and have conversation when you read this in the greek it's really the word conversation he spoke as one that just had discussion with others He just spoke in a way. Maybe he was sitting down. I don't know. You've been in those small group settings or you've been in those situations where people didn't so much preach at you. They just kind of shared their life. They shared what Christ was doing in them. Maybe you shared with them. But here, he preached the word to them. Some men, I love this scene, They came bringing him a paralytic, carried it before them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, they lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw the faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And Eric, just for you, son, your sins are forgiven. That's in red, okay? That's just for you, Eric. But immediately, we we said that this word immediately is a, a common word for Mark. He uses it 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. And quickly, just all of a sudden, things happen. Things move. And and in this house, it it was like the the architecture of maybe New Mexico. They, They had flat roofs. They didn't have the pitch or anything. And there would be like a stairwell on the side of the house. And these guys, man, they knew that they needed to bring their friend to Jesus, that Jesus was the miracle worker of God. He was even God. And they thought if they got him there, something would happen for him. They had faith that it would. But they couldn't get him in the house. And often as a youth pastor, I thought about this, and I read a story the other day, and it was one of the coolest stories, and I think it was embellished, but it's still a great story. It says this youth pastor, he was teaching on this particular passage, and as he was sharing, he got into it, and he got to that section where he says, and they opened up the roof. These workers, they, and they started running their skill saws and they cut the roof out of the youth building. And man, stuff was flying and they lowered the guys down. Now, can you imagine this morning if we had predetermined to cut a hole right there in that roof? I mean, would it get your attention? You're like, yeah, you ain't gonna believe our pastor. He's crazy, man. He cut a hole in the roof today. Now, just think about it for a minute. I think it's Peter's house, Ms. Mrs. Peter. Now, what do you think? Everybody's there at her house. They're running out of food. Now, what do you women do when you run out of food? Some of you go, I start cooking more. Some of you say, it's time to go home. But when they started, and you know, people come to your house sometimes and they move furniture and they rearrange it, and for us that are type A, it irritates you. But can you imagine, they didn't just do that to Miss Peter's house. Mrs. Peter, they took her house apart. I don't think she was happy with Jesus at this point, okay? But they lowered the paralytic down because they knew they needed to get this person in the presence of Jesus. Today, practically, that's what body life does. We just want to get you in front of the living Christ. Is that good news, church? Because we believe in his presence, there's healing there's forgiveness of sin so here in this situation this 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 house comes apart and these guys have figured out we we just gotta we just gotta we just gotta get our friend to jesus we we can't do anything and i think it's interesting the bible says he had four friends i mean write down your four friends on your sheet right now do you have four friends that'd be you're going i don't even know if i got one my dog quit talking to me this week or you could be pitiful and go, my dog died this week. I absolutely have none. Well, that'd be a good reason to join a small group this next season, okay? So here they, they see this faith. And it doesn't say they saw the faith of the paralytic, and Jesus did something. He didn't even talk about the paralytic, I mean the paralytic's faith. I don't even know if the paralytic had faith. But his friends did. And his friends believed for him. And the scripture says, man, it's so clear. It says that Jesus was touched. Look, move on here with me. So he says, your sins are forgiven, verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And we'll talk about, about this thing of blaspheming. But in this particular section, they have enough faith. Now, let me tell you, in our day and age when we have internet we have television and cable and all these programs you can hear any if they've got money you can hear any theological doctrine promoted even though it be heresy be an error and i've heard this over the years and i want to throw up in a bucket can i paint you a better picture if you just had enough faith you would be healed if you just had enough faith you wouldn't be sick if you just had enough faith how many believe in that kind of theology no no now, God wants us to have faith, and without faith, a lot of times he doesn't move. But here, this thing that, I, that my faith at this point is going to control the situation. These guys had faith. These guys believed for the paralytic. Man, these are some good friends. So I got a question. I just thought, what kind of friends do I have? Do I have friends that have faith? No. Do I have friends that have greater faith than I have? That my friends believe stronger than I do? If not, I'd start seeking out some of those kind of friends. I love to surround myself with people that have contagious faith. How about you, church? On Sunday morning, I don't try to give this to you in some laborious manner so we can all go to sleep. My goal is to be passionate about the Lord Jesus, about his teaching, and about his kingdom, and to share it with you that somehow it affects you by the power of the Spirit and that you go and you share with somebody else. So let's keep moving here. Do you remember Job talking about this whole sick thing? Job had these friends, and I think if I was Job, I'd have traded some of my friends in. How about you? I mean, they said, "Man, you know, they were just against him and naysayers, and, and like, man, yeah, maybe just go ahead and die, or man, your wife, and no, no, it was just it's just a bad situation." Read the read the book of Job. But here's what I'll say: There's a priority here for the friends of the paralytic. The priority is they want to get their friend in front of Jesus. They want to see that something can happen for him. We read in an earlier verse what should it gain a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit or lose his own soul so maybe there was that spiritual connotation although i think the scripture alludes that really they weren't looking so much for the spiritual part they were looking for the physical you know and nothing wrong with the physical I, I love the physical hey you're looking at a guy right now that was healed on the fifth anniversary of our church how many of you remember that i was scheduled for triple fusion neck surgery they told me to take six weeks off work and I was like, what, what am I going to do? They go, you ain't going to feel like working, brother. And then I never will forget when I talk to my surgeon, he goes, I've done 3,000. He says, I'm going to cut you across here. He had me then. He said, I've hit three vocal cords in 3,000. He said, you might lose your voice. I said, you might lose your hand because I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> and, then he, and then he told me a story. He says, one time I did a preacher and he says he gave out a voice after 20 minutes and his congregation writes me weekly. That ain't even funny. And I went through all that, and I thought, man, I'm going to have to have neck surgery because I was in so much pain, and I, some of you heard the story. I went on Faith Radio, shared it everywhere. All I know is I had everybody praying. I had hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people praying. And all I know is the pain immediately left. It was over. I went to my doctor, and God had miraculously healed me. It was awesome. I, yeah, I mean, I'm mean, I saying, like, man, that was God's power. And people would just come and watch me and look at me. And every time in this church, for the last 17 years, people come to me when they have neck trouble go, pray for me, Pastor. I do not want to have that neck surgery. Right now, I'm 0 for 100. I'm the only one that got to escape. And I prayed and there's been healing and God's used medicine and all that, and it's been awesome. And I hope somebody else will get to enjoy that. I even remember the elders of our church, and none of them are elders now, so I can pick on them because they were former elders. I remember what they told Don and me. We think that the God wants you to have this surgery, that this could be good. I said give me some new elders what you think it's gonna be good for me to get cut on and then I remember when God healed me and I went to him and said guys I think you missed the Lord on this one you know what I'm saying man you think it's gonna be good for me you go up to somebody and say I think this surgery is gonna be good for you brother well I mean I think God can work in surgery I think I think God does great things when we're up against the wall don't you church But hey, I ain't gonna gonna quit going for the miracle. How about you? So let's move here. And so we see here the Son of Man, the Son of God, has the power and he has the authority to forgive sins. What a Christ. And there in in verse, um, move there, verse 8 immediately Jesus knew his spirit that it was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your mat, and walk? but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic i tell you get up take up your mat and go home he got up took up his mat walked out in full view of them all this amazed everyone they praised god saying we have never ever i added ever never seen anything like this The word amazed, the word stunned, the word moved, they were by the power of Jesus Christ. So let's look here at the outline. Life-changing question. Is it possible to trigger a miracle in the life of someone you care about? Yes or no? I believe it is. I believe our prayers, the prayers of the righteous are effective. They're righteous. They're powerful. He is sovereign. He is above all. We don't manipulate Father God, but he asks us to pray for one another. He asked us in Galatians, carry one another's burdens that you might fulfill the law of Christ. God, help us to do that. So here, fill it in. Their faith, their expectations, their actions, and their willingness not to quit triggered the miracle in the life of this man. It was God. Don't hear me say anything else. It wasn't man. It was God alone that did the miracle. Today, when you have healing, it is God. It is not man. And the church said, our god that heals but i think they maybe set it up maybe they they triggered because they had this great faith all of us in this room i bet all of us have a desire for great things to happen for the people that we love right now i pray for courtney all the time I, i just got a new bracelet i had a pink one but i don't care i got two girls and a granddaughter so pink became my favorite color and i wear pink and i love jesus okay and i got my man card and Glenn gave me a pink bracelet weeks ago. He said, brother, it's pink. I go, I'm secure. And every morning when I put it on, I just go, glory to God, Courtney. I love you, but I'm praying for you right now. Her daddy walked in this morning and gave me an orange one. I'm talking about my man card just stepped up. There you go. Because somebody's been wondering, why does he wear a pink bracelet? Because I can. Okay, here it is. Here it is. All of us have people we want great things for. Mom and dads want to see great things happen to their kids that honor of God. Would you agree? Yes. Wives and husbands, they want to see a great marriage. They want to see God transform their spouse. We have good friends, relatives, neighbors, business associates, whoever, colleagues, schoolmates, ball team player mates. We want to see God do great things in their life. So is it possible to take steps of faith that actually lead to God changing lives? I think it is. So that's what I'm praying. God, make Christ's community a fellowship that activates Faith in you, God, and we believe you to move the mountain. We believe that you can part the sea. We believe, God, that all things are possible to those who. I just set you up. We believe that all things are possible for those who believe. Come on, church, wake up. Some of you are like, I know I'm not born and you know what? I got a fan, so we're staying at 2 o'clock today. Man, I'm not sweating like I have been glory to god thank you chuck Kiefer. i'm gonna come hug you right now okay i got my man card just want you to know okay here we go hey keep keep going (laughs) i know that's crazy isn't it? it in this whole thing raise your expectations i know this these these guys are the paralytic and i gotta keep moving they knew that if they got their friend in the room with jesus three things would happen the paralytic write these down he would hear the words of jesus christ if they got him in the presence of Jesus, they would hear, he would hear his words. Secondly, he would receive Christ's forgiveness if he got in his presence. And third, he would experience God's power and never be the same. That sounds like a pretty good church service to me, doesn't it? You come, you hear the word of God. You worship, you believe, you experience forgiveness of Christ, and you believe that you have the power to change, and somehow you walk out of here differently than when you came in. And that's what I pray for you and me, is that God will somehow every weekend melt our hearts, mold our hearts, shape our hearts, give us new grace, new mercy for the journey called life, to follow after him that other people would look and say, I see Christ in you. Now be with me. Number two. This is a great one. Jesus eats with sinners. I love this. I love this concept. Pharisees and Sadducees and religious sects, they hated it. It went all over them. That Jesus would hang out with lowly down and out people. But, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And, And here the text talks about when he calls Matthew, he calls Levi forward. But, you know, what i've learned over my christian walk with jesus is that i lose relationship and contact with people that are unsaved especially as a pastor man i've been a pastor in 36 years i've been a christ follower over 40 40 and a half years and what happens is i used to be so surrounded by pagans and people that didn't love god didn't know god because i was one of them and then i got sanctified and holy and then i became a preacher and even, and you, you, it's so funny. I can be on an airplane and I can stop the conversation quicker than anybody. All you got to do is say, I'm a preacher, and everybody, I think I'm a little sleepy now. I need to go nap. I mean, the other day I was talking to a contractor and he was cussing and throwing this out. And I like, hey, hey, I'm the pastor. Pfft, he, man, he dude got Ajax out of his thing. He started washing his mouth out. Oh, yeah, dude, that God, he's good. I'm like, dude, just go ahead, man. You know, I, you already insulted me and him both. You know, matter of fact, I'm I'm really praying for this guy. matter of fact, i got a job I want to do. He he needs to show up. That would help. But uh, but secondly, I think I'm going to share a word of Christ with him. I I need to know more non-Christians. In my office, everybody's saved. You say, you fool, you work in the church. Well, I know. I'm hoping they're all saved, okay? They are. Small group anyway. In your office, is everybody saved? Everybody know Christ? You're like, no, no. Here, fill, fill in this right here. Make contact with the lost. And the life-changing question is, who do you keep company with? As I was studying for this message, I really came under some heavy conviction from my own life. And I said, God, how do I make contact more with the lost world? Glenn and Ashley know. I was their youth pastor. I was no other people's youth pastor in here. Y'all used to bring some lost people to me all the time. I was with lots of lost people but then you become a pastor and you get in christianese talk and you get around christian people and i love the family of god it's awesome but i just realized i know less non-christians today than i ever have and i'm trying to figure out god how can i engage them and you know what I, i still find the best way to bring down a wall and you look at me you can tell i'm really good at this eat eat with some sinners break bread with them i didn't say drink with them i said eat with them okay and just, man, just have some connection. And God, so this morning you walk out of here, I hope and pray that some of us go, man, I don't want to be so pharisaical or, or so religious and so pious and so pushing people away. I want to rub shoulders against the lost world that needs the Savior. I can remember when we used to see one, three, four, five people get saved at Christ's community every weekend. And it breaks my heart. I don't see that anymore. I'm going, God, I need to meet some more non-believers. The church needs to bring some more non-believers to the presence of Jesus. Amen, church? We have a value. Invite, invite, I like to invite value, pastor. I ain't done it in three years, but praise God, it's a good value. Starts with the letter I. Whatever. Church, let's fill this place up. See all them chairs back there? They used to have fannies in them. They used to have people in them. We can fill this place up. God's given us a great place, man, to meet. But then, when we break, man, God, let's be the church. Anyway, I, I get fired about this. So this whole thing of uh, the the what I know about the the tax collectors here is you moving in this section. They they were hated. The tax collectors were ostracized. Look at verse thirteen. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, a large crowd came to him, there's that crowd again, he began to teach them, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sit in the tax collector's booth, the high and lofted place, man, kind artist, ripper, rip, rip people off, bad news, follow me, I like that, square that off in your Bible, circle that in your Bible, that is a great Jesus phrase, follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many of his tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. Disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I think that's the voice they had. I don't know. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, I came for sinners. And I said, Amen guys i've walked with jesus 40 years at 19 i met him i was a serious pagan before i met jesus christ had no hope of eternal life or forgiveness of sin and i love him and i i want us to introduce others to him and yet here's here's levi here's matthew a tax collector working for the roman government putting burdens on people and jesus changes his name and i like where he changes james and john son of thunder and he, he calls matthew you're you're a gift of god and People are like a gift of god do you know jesus who matthew is he rips off people he takes advantage of them he he puts all this tax stuff on them, all these uh, undue things that they can't so the jews are just going hey we hate tax collectors did you know in that day the tax collectors were so despised they were barred from the synagogue <laughs> they couldn't even come to the temple People are like they ain't coming in our house I mean, do we have any tax collectors in here? You see, it's still working today, isn't it? No, we actually, we actually, we used to have a tax collector in here. I asked this guy one time, I said, what do you do? He looked at me, goes, I'm a tax collector. I said, no, really, what do you do? He goes, I work for the IRS. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he did. He's in heaven now. And um, I was obedient then. I was really obedient when he was here. I was like, you, you really, you work for the IRS. I never knew Anyway, I talk about y'all all the time. And it's not positive. <laughs> he just laughed didn't let me preach his funeral well i don't guess he did his wife did here you go. let's keep going number one let me tell you about these these taxes how many do you think i am overtaxed i am done i don't like it how many you raise your hand you're overtaxed all right well listen to this you're fixing the feel real good number one there was a poll tax anyone male or female male age 14 to 65 females ages 12 to 65 paid a poll tax if you breathe the roman air you paid a tax for that they had income tax on top of tax just just pay it but listen to this then another one there was a 10 percent on top of the poll tax so that, that was probably 10 here then they paid another 10 the number three there was ground taxes that was another 10 percent uh, one-fifth of all the wine that was given to rome harbor taxes import taxes road taxes fish taxes By the fish if you caught two fish you paid this much if you caught uh, if you caught a net load, you paid tax for everything that happened. And on top of that, they had a cart tax. And you paid by the wheels. Where do you think the wheelbarrow came from? I thought that was funny, but that's really true. They got tired of paying all these taxes because every time you had a wheel, you had to pay more taxes. And it was just, it, 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 just the burden. And there was Matthew sitting up in his little lofty position in the booth. You people. I need money. And whatever he had to give to the government, he gave. And the rest of them, he ripped them off smiling. So when Jesus, listen to this, when Jesus said, Matthew, follow me, it was huge. He had a lifetime federal government pension. I mean, he had a big, man, he made a lot of money. And he gave it all up. It wasn't like, well, I'll follow Jesus for a while and I'll go back to my work. No. He laid it all down. To follow Jesus. But we read about him. We thought, oh, he's Matthew he was holy. Well, he didn't start off so holy. I mean, he was, you know, he was a con artist. I mean, he's just ripping people off. He's and he drink and Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. What? What a Christ. He comes not for the healthy, but he, he comes for the sick. I remember when Jesus came to me, sick of soul, dead in my transgressions. And he loved me, he died for me, and he delivered me. And he's done that for you, or he will do that for you if you'll call upon him in faith and believe. And maybe some other people are believing for your faith right now. But I know this, I'd write the thought down. Jesus came to cure. He came to cure the sin-sick soul. And there were so many in that day and there's so many today that need a blessed Savior. So who do we keep company with? And I want you to write this last thought, and I've got to move on. Evangelism equals relationships put it in a box draw it in a box on your notes evangelism equals relationships it's the greatest way to evangelize I know is to build bridges with people that somehow you might introduce them to the Savior and you just love them and you just care for me it's just a natural thing I, I, I subscribe and I've done so many miles of evangelism over my journey as a Christ follower but I recommend the number one, the best way to be a disciple is to build relationships. And it becomes natural and supernatural And you know when you can maybe share a little more and just praying for the sensitivity and the leadership of the Holy Spirit that somehow they would come to trust Christ. So I, I say all this message today, and I'm just saying, God, help me to get outside my walls, help our church to get outside their walls, help us to be a, a vibrant, contagious witness for Christ. I remember when we moved in this building, it was 1999. It was the summer, the first summer in the building. We moved into April, right after Easter. And all the ABF, all the small group, we, we had hundreds and hundreds of people. Places just jamming. It was crazy. And all the teachers decided, we're going to take the summer off, Pastor, and we want you to teach. I said, teach? I preach every Sunday morning. But we want you to teach Sunday school, too. And I was still young and crazy and naive. And I said, yes, I would be honored to And I would come in here, and I would had about 60 or 70 showed up just for Sunday school, and I would teach them, and we taught this, being a contagious Christian. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's time to do that again. God, how can we be contagious in our faith that we make Christ known? So who who do we make contact with? Oh, write this thought down. There's no impact without contact. Isn't that a great, I I forget where I read it, I I love that statement. There's no impact without contact. If you're going to make an impact for Christ, you've got to make contact with a lost world. So, God, I think you've got our attention, and we wait on you, and we see that you, what you want to do. Now, move on down to this one in verse 18, because this is going to get powerful. Jesus' question about fasting. Verses 18 through 22, they're, they're asking him, they're wondering, so let's look at it. Now, John's disciples, verse 18, and the Pharisees were fasting, and they wanted everybody to know it. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But yours are not, Jesus. Jesus answered, how can the guest or the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. So Jesus and, 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 and the, the religious leaders, they, they were into this fasting. They would fast from 6 a.m., sunup to sundown, 6 to 6. And they were saying here, and they thought that if it was once a year, was pleasing to fast, and there were other fasts and festivals, but if it was once a year they would fast, they thought, how much more would we have the favor of God if we fasted twice a week? And they were fasting twice a week, and they began to add these rules and laws and legalism, and they got into the ceremony of fasting and not the relationship with God. And here they are challenging the chief rabbi that's ever lived the lord jesus christ about why why do they do this jesus and they shouldn't do this and and they were so into it they would i i studied it i thought this was interesting they would put white powder on their face like it was like makeup they would put ashes on their head they would wear their clothes wrinkled and unkept. they wanted everybody to know i am fasting today look at me i am so godly and you know what? I thought about we like it, Robin. It is funny. Thank you for laughing. And but but the thing is, I thought about it when we used to do the 21-day fast around here. We were pitiful. Especially me. Man, I ain't had a drink. I mean, a drink. I hadn't had a soda, okay? I have not had a soda. I don't drink. I hadn't had a Mountain Dew. I ain't that's a drink. I hadn't had a Mountain Dew in 21 days. I had, you know, I, I hadn't had sugar 21 days. I hadn't had this. And we and we started wiping ashes. We didn't do that. But we would. People would say, Oh man, I'm so hungry, Pastor. I hate you. I'm going to a new church. When y'all get to fast over, I'll come back. And there was reasons for the Daniel fast and it's biblical and it's pleasing to the Lord. I don't make fun of that but here these guys they they were just challenging jesus and yet yom kippur the day of atonement they would fast and you read about it in leviticus and these pharisees they would fast on mondays and thursdays they thought that was the days that were uh, the best but jesus says why would you fast while i'm here i'm the bridegroom i'm the one sent from above i'm the one from god and it's to be a time of joy It's a time of celebration. There's a time to fast. There's a time to weep. There's a time to celebrate. And Jesus said, it's a time to celebrate I'm here. I love this in the Gospel of Mark, that he deals with them. uh, this appropriate time. And, and then look, look at this next section, verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. You, know, you, you put that new cloth on there and it just rips away. It just tears away. It, it doesn't hold. You pour the new wine into an old wineskin, that's been around for a while and it has no elasticity and, and the thing just burst. And Jesus says, No, no, no. I have a new covenant. I have a new way. I'm the, I'm the one from the Father. I, I want to fill you. I want to become a part of your life. And Mark 2.22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine burst The wine is spilled. The wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into the new wineskins. God's Holy Spirit will be put into us, and we're new. I love that. In Christ Jesus, we are new creations. We're new the v- new vessels that God creates for his purposes. Lord, we want to celebrate your goodness. So the conflict intensifies. Look at four. Melanus plain. The Lord of the Sabbath. See, they were so into law that they missed the whole purpose of the fast and what it was really about. And they needed refreshment, and, they, and they, they, were making, they, they were all after Jesus. So let's see what it says here in verse 23. Look with me. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and they were in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, he ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath, look at this. I want you to underline this in your Bible. This is so critical. The Old Testament, the New Testament fulfills the old law. But look what it says. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. I talked to a guy the other day. This guy told me, he goes, I work seven days a week. I said, yeah. He goes, I'm tired. I had never seen it. I, I didn't know this guy. I said, you know what? I said, you should observe the Sabbath. The Lord created the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man. You should rest. And his eyes got about that big. He looked at me, huh? I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I was just speaking it out, I, I, I guess because I was in his text all week. And I said, man, I said, you need, I said, God's created you to rest. You need refreshment. He goes, and he just he stopped and he had blood running all down his arm <laughs> He'd cut it on a limb and, and the blood was bothering me, but I wanted to teach him a principle and He said man rest. I said yeah, you need to rest on the Sabbath He said well, you know my body's not doing so good. I'm 50 something years old. I thought so am I <laughs> He said I need to rest I said you need to rest and I think I'm gonna get to see that guy again I'm, I'm looking for him. So would y'all pray for me that I'll get to share a gospel witness Would you would you pray that for your pastor? that I get to share a little bit more of Christ with him. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be looking who Christ might have in your life that maybe you could share a gospel witness and just step into it and say, Lord, here it is. But this Sabbath, it was made. See, they, they took precedence of the rules and regulations over the relationship. Walking with Jesus has always been and always will be about a relationship with our Father. And God wants us to draw near to him and have fellowship with him and understand him and draw near to his heart and put him first. Tim Keller writes, Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, and the religious leaders call that blasphemy. But Jesus goes on to make a claim so outrageous that the leaders don't even have a word for it. Because he is God. He can forgive sins. This is radical when Jesus would speak to him about, hey, your sins are forgiven. Like, Jesus, we just want a miracle, the paralytic. Just it's healing. Jesus, like. I could heal him, but I ain't done nothing for his soul. His soul needs to be healed. It needs to be cured. I love healings. I pray our church will be filled with healings. But more than that, I pray that your soul will be so healthy with Jesus. Your soul is eternal. So Jesus just declares to us his great love. And Here, move with me quick. There's, I think I wrote in there, did I say 38? I meant 39. Would you correct that? That's bothering me. I realized today I messed up. Man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give you an error. If you knew about Jewish history, you would have known that. It wasn't 38, it's 39. But 39 different prohibitions. Let's look at them real quick, and we'll, we'll get through Here it is. Give me the first one. It's the prohibition part. Wrong to kindle a fire for cooking. Man, they had all these rules and all these laws that you couldn't do. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. All right, let's look at the next one. Wrong to gather fuel. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. I mean, man, they were, they were strict about these, the Sabbath day, okay? Carry burdens. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. I mean, they'd be carrying stuff and they'd just set it down. And then I guess they'd go back on Monday or you know, the next day and pick it up, right? Look, look at this next one. I think there's no one. Transact business. How many of you are like, man, glory to God, I like that. Let's don't transact, transact, let's don't transact business. Although some of you, I thinking about you, Jamie, or, or uh, not Jamie. Uh, did she just get up and leave? Oh, right here. Jamie, I was thinking about you. Uh, real estate. You, i Sometimes you transact business on Sunday, don't you? You're like, man, I wish we could have this rule. Anybody buy houses Monday through Saturday. Wouldn't that be cool? So if you want to buy a house, go see her Monday through Saturday. Okay, here you go. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year we'll forgo working the land and we'll cancel all our debts. I think that's the last one, right? All right. So this whole thing this morning, we're just walking through the Gospel of Mark. Next weekend, Mark 3. We'll just pick up in the Gospel narrative. But somehow I pray that something today resonated with you. It might have been our prayer time. It might have been that powerful worship. It might have been the spoken word of God this morning. But I pray, oh I pray that you encountered the presence of Jesus. That's been my goal since day one in 1996. It'll be my goal to the day I draw my last breath. May you experience christ let's pray father thank you for your house and for the people of faith and maybe there's some that don't have faith maybe they uh, would consider faith maybe they would be drawn to faith by the faith of another but holy spirit we pray that you would be unleashed and you would be moving through the pages of scripture you'd be moving up and down the rows in the sanctuary but that we would encounter you god and experience you in new ways today We pray for your healing power for those that we prayed for early in the service. We pray we would make contact with a lost, ungenerated world this week. God, people in here, they're not preachers, but Lord, if they're Christians, they're witnesses. So give them something to say. Give them ears to listen. Give them hands to serve. But may we give Christ. May we offer Christ. Oh, Jesus, you're what we need. I pray you're what we long for. Revive our souls, oh God. And bless every dad today, Heavenly Father. Encourage them. Give them strength. Thank you for your love, Jesus. We gather in your blessed name. Amen.